0: Welcome to the Partial Historians. This is episode four? Episode four. We've come, we've come so far. Um, I am one part, one half of the Partial Historians, Dr. Peter Greenfield.
1: And I am the other part, of Dr. Fiona Radford. Officially we've... now graduated.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The pictures, the robes, it's all up there now. The graduation is official.
1: It is. They can't
0: take it away from you. You can now trust me. I've always trusted
1: yeah.
0: you. <laughs> So, in this episode, we're continuing our exploration of our overarching theme uh, of the moment. Uh, we'll move on to something else eventually. but Sex is
1: just so interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, exactly. There's just so much to say. So, sex in ancient Rome. We're going to turn our attention this episode to looking at Roman wives, or the women who are known in Latin as the matronae.
1: Yes, the legitimate people, as opposed to the slightly less legitimate people who will probably be looking at it next episode. Yeah, so
0: Roman <laughs> wives are citizen women, and that's, that's really the important first thing to understand about this. Uh, so their sex or their engagement in sex is highly regulated by their society.
1: Mm. Yes, I suppose because uh, obviously the Main interest in marriage is to produce legitimate offspring. Yeah, yeah.
0: You think know to yourself, at, at some point in time, why didn't humankind cotton on to the idea that it would just be easier to have a matrilineal society? You always know who the mother of a child I is. No, it's
1: so logical. It's just so simple. Before DNA testing, it really doesn't make sense. Yeah,
0: and so... But yet, Rome, like many ancient societies, and indeed many modern societies, has this focus on patriarchy and the idea that the father is the most legitimate parent yes. of the child. And legally speaking, since they are taking on the role of raising the child, fiscally, yes. I suspect, rather than physically, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. they're very interested in knowing that. that they're not <laughs> wasting or expending too much energy on children that aren't
1: theirs. Yes. So, And of course, being um, in the Roman society, obviously, um, political... Considerations come into that as well. In that, mm. when you're part of particularly an elite Roman family, um, you do want to make sure that you're going to be promoting the career of your own biological <laughs> <way>.
0: <laughs> not that bastard offspring, no. that guy down the
1: street God or at jamming. least someone who's legitimately adopted
0: <laughs> yeah well I guess I guess to backtrack slightly yes. uh, Roman politics on a yes. fundamental level is based around the family structure yes and so we've got our high elite families these patricians yes uh, who basically run the show Yep. uh Regardless of what ha- tends to happen otherwise, <laughs> and no matter how much anybody else protests, yes. and no matter how hard down on their luck or how poor they become, they still have uh, the, the sheen, yes. the <laughs> gloss of being from the patrician class. <laughs> so we have these 12 ancient families mm. uh, who. The consideration of family is so important in the way that the politics develops. Uh, that it becomes not just about legitimate children, but as you noted, yes. uh, legitimate adoption as yes, well. Absolutely. So a way of
1: continuing your dynasty.
0: Yeah, yeah, and joining families together because mostly you would just be adopting from other patricians. Yes, so. you wouldn't
1: be just donating that ragamuffin that, you, <laughs> <laughs> that looks so that, adorable in the I street. I like
0: that right. I'm going to give him a leg up in Romans <laughs> and right. Yeah, no, no.
1: <laughs> And I suppose that's the interesting part about marriage. I mean, this is probably skipping ahead a little bit. Mm. But um, in the era that you and I are most fond of and the part that's probably got the most evidence, you know, we, we've got the, the later Republic and the early Empire and that mm, sort of thing. Mm marriage does become a bit of a political weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Do elaborate. (laughs) In that, um, obviously, you know, in its purest form, it is about, you know, two citizen people coming together to produce citizen offspring who are Mm -hmm. legitimate. Um, But it then becomes also about, you know, uniting families were in politically advantageous ways. So for example, mm. you've got famous examples of Julius Caesar and Pompey. Ah uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. So uh, how does it come about? Pompey marries Julius Caesar's daughter. Yes, Julia. Ha- yeah. How aft yes. Mm. Who'd have thought?
0: <laughs> yeah. Surprise. Yes, Julia.
1: And uh, things seem to go on rather swimmingly
0: until. Well those two are yeah. those two are two bit Pompey and Caesar are two of the big power players of the 60s, well, well... Not so much the '60s, but the, towards the end of the '60s and the yes. '50s in particular, yes. uh, when these sorts of and they don't always get along. Place, yes. They don't always get al- get along. They've got mm. different ideas about what should be foreign policy. Mm. They've got different ideas about what should be provincial policy, yep. and different ideas about who should really be in charge. Yes, wow. uh,
1: I think that just probably the stickler.
0: <laughs> I think that's the yes. main issue between
1: the two of them. They're both incredibly ambitious, but there is this period of harmony where Pompey marries Julia, mm. and he seems to really fall for her.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's surprising. I mean, she's quite young compared mm. to him. There's quite a big age gap, understandable. Who would have
1: thought he, yeah. an older man really falling yeah. for a younger An older woman. man
0: for a younger <laughs> woman, yeah. It's, I mean, it's really out of the box, isn't it? it throws you for a curveball as a historian to find mm. that sort of evidence. Absolutely. Uh, and yet they they seem to be in love, and tragically she dies in childbirth, yes. I think.
1: Yes, yeah, it is, yeah. And then that's the thing, I mean, you know, Not only if she had lived, but if that child had lived. Amazing. The union of those houses. (laughs) Absolutely. A pomp season to (laughs) rule them all. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Um, But yeah, unfortunately she dies. And then uh, not long after that, things start to go pear-shaped between the two men again.
0: Yeah, well, it's almost like Julia is the the binding cement holding these two men together. And Mm. they're willing to put aside their differences while this love affair is blossoming and and the loss of Julia takes both of them hard Mm, I mean Pompey loses ostensibly one of the loves of his life Mm. Caesar is definitely distraught over the loss of his daughter it's fairly clear that he loved her quite a lot from a father's perspective and neither of these men are able to cope and get along without her
1: yeah well for Caesar I suppose and I mean this is the interesting thing obviously being in this sort of society where men seem to be more valued I mean don't get me wrong they are obviously but you can (laughs) you can be led to think sometimes that women are just you know they just don't matter you know Um, because you know they don't have the right to vote Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and um, you know they're probably more likely to be exposed at birth, well not exposed but you know, infanticide is more common with female infants than it is male If you've got an
0: excess number of children, it's more worth your while to raise the boys. Exactly,
1: yeah so you you can think that women are just not valued um, and perhaps not loved, Mm. but you know that's just not true, it's just more the the nature of the sources perhaps that we have Yeah, Yeah. I think
0: there was a tendency back in sort of like sort of early 20th century scholarship 1950s, Mm. to assume that the role of women, because it was of such a lesser nature, meant that they weren't valued on any level whatsoever, it seems pretty clear from the evidence that they were emotionally valued. These women were an important part of the families that they were in. Even though they weren't able to hold particularly high political positions or public office, they fulfilled another very distinct and special role. Yeah, they
1: might have had political rights Mm. um, and freedoms perhaps, like men did, but yeah, on a family level there's definitely that that care, especially for someone like Julius Caesar, who seemed to suffer from that tragedy of not being able to produce Many. male heirs. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you've yeah. got to love your daughters when you've got no other option, <laughs> <Exactly>. don't you?
1: <laughs> and that's just it. I mean, that's the thing. In, in Roman society, it is actually probably a good thing that if you can't produce male heirs, your daughters can still be useful in a political... Well, they uh, become the pawns from which you can create alliances with other families. So absolutely. they become a
0: bridging motif. And I think at this point, it's probably pertinent to raise this idea of yes. um, the value and honour that women carry with them as citizen women. Absolutely. And this idea of mm. uh which is... Uh, Love, thank you. <laughs> <putikiria. laughs> uh,
1: <she>
0: <laughs> yes. So, uh, Pudakiria, this idea of in really broad brush strokes this idea yes. of female chastity yes um, it's not exclusively female but mm. most often associated with citizen women
1: Yeah, because so they were I mean their status is quite amazing in the sense that you mm-hmm. know unlike I think we've touched on this before unlike say you know, Athenian women um, Mm. who lead quite sequestered lives. Um, They're not really meant to be seen by any male outside their family. They seem to live in a certain section of the house. Roman women, it's not really like that. They're much more involved, like they're not sectioned off in their own houses and they seem to be able to be much more involved in public life as in they can go out on the street. However, when they are out on the street... You're not allowed to accost them, you know, they have, they have, you know. I know she's out and about, but that doesn't mean you can rape. Her. I don't look, but not touch. It doesn't matter what she's wearing.
0: She's not asking to be. Raped. Exactly. Um, how far we've come. But in even to times. even
1: to yeah, maybe just approach them as in you know get in their way. Yeah. You yeah. know, even get a little. Well, women, Roman citizen women would go out with escorts. Yes. Uh, Can't get up in the grill. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: not escorts, as in prostitute escorts,
1: but uh, (laughs) like chaperones. Chaperones, that's probably not word, yeah. yeah,
0: Usually they would be slave girls. (laughs) Sure. uh, And so they'd be surrounded by women. An entourage. Yeah, an entourage of of other women. Mm -hmm. And the slave women were allowed and permitted to interact with other people on the street. Yeah. uh, To a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, but there's
1: a certain aura around <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but the citizen woman herself shouldn't be interacting with people of any lesser social status than herself, so if she met another matrona in the street, you yep. know, that would be okay, sure. yeah, you know if one of the um one of her close male relatives were to pass by, sure. certainly that would be permissible for her to say hi to him, yep. Uh, But, you know,
1: no... But no beggars can just, you know, grab hold of her hem and go, please, (laughs) ma'am. None of that riffraff would be committed. (laughs) No, no.
0: Don't approach her. She's a lady. That's right. She's a lady.
1: (laughs) Yes, so, sorry, to return to... Oh, put Yes, yes. Or
0: yes, yes, female yes. chastity. Yes. So we get this idea, and, and this is something that very much uh, has a parallel in mon- modern society to a certain extent uh, mm. in some cultures, this idea that women hold the honour of the family in their own body. Yeah. And the use and deployment of the female body in is perceived within the family as an expression of the honour of the family as a whole. Yeah. So anything that was considered to be transgressive or... Mm. Uh, of the female body yes could cause the family's honor to come into disrepute sure and this has ramifications politically mm-hmm. and and so it becomes really essentially important to control the way a woman's body is perceived yes. and and how it interacts with the world and so i mean we see this in a minor way with the way that Roman women shouldn't be approached in the street. Yep. You know, this is a way of protecting them. Yeah. But even further than this, it, it lends itself into sexuality. Yeah. And what is permissible sexual conduct for a Roman woman? Sure. Who should she be allowed to marry? Yeah. Who yep. should she be allowed to see intimately? mm mm-hmm. uh, And... The ramifications for a
1: compromise of that honor, yes, uh, leads we actually us down to, yeah, like, we touched on an example of that, I believe, in our first episode when we were mm. talking about Julius Caesar's well, one of his wives <laughs> <laughs> um how mm. when yeah when the when um Bonadia was being held ah, yes. in his house um yeah, yeah. and that that was a all female religious
0: so this is what sixty four
1: sixty something like that yeah it's, it's meant to be an all female religious religious right, and when it is penetrated by Claudius. (laughs) Nice choice (laughs) of verb. I like it. Even though, (laughs) allegedly, nothing really happened apart from him sneaking in and whatever. um, Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Caesar feels the need to divorce
0: his wife. Because essentially the sanctity of of her... um, honour has been violated. Her mm. pouticittia has been brought into disrepute. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this reflects poorly on Caesar. Mm-hmm. So what option does he have? Well, yeah. he has to he has to get rid of her yeah. um, from a political point of view. And this places women in a really vulnerable position because yes. they're always at the mercy of not what they've done necessarily, but what it is perceived to be. that they yes, have done. Uh, Rumour is just as devastating as anything else for these sorts of women.
1: Yes, because of course, I mean, obviously obviously, in this sort of society, adultery is, you know, a big it is. concern. Well, this, yeah,
0: and this is a huge, a huge scenario. And I think at this point, the, the quintessential example is Lucretia. Yes, absolutely. Going way, way back. Way, way back in time. So we're thinking this is the time... Early Roman history, Rome is still ruled by kings. Yeah. So prior to the expulsion of the kings. So we're talking about sort of the five hundreds B C and this is sort of a
1: even a quasi mythological This is an apocryphal yeah. story. Yeah, exactly. And
0: yeah. but it's really illustrative, I think. And and so uh, the story starts with the husband of Lucretia. Yep. Uh, he's going around, he's carousing with some of the sons of the king, some of the princes, and they're like, oh, let's go and just check on what our wives are doing. Let's see if we can catch them out being naughty when they're not <laughs> expecting their husbands to turn up. They know we're having a boys' night, you know? And so they rock up to the prince's uh, houses. The wives are engaged in banqueting and a luscious feasting, which is considered to be very. Um, Morally passe, yeah, and they're like a bit decadent,
1: uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit decadent.
0: Uh, not what a what a good woman would be doing in her spare time, sure. And then they end up at Lucretia's house, yep. and and they come across her, and she's up. She's got one lamp lit, and she's working by the lamplight, weaving
1: and spinning the wool. Because this is a thing. I mean, re- I mean, just to interject here, that's something <laughs> that still remains an ideal of Roman wives. Yeah, this
0: is something that's very far Mediterranean. Down. Yeah,
1: yeah, far, far down. And They're not necessarily expected to run their own households, as in they don't do the work themselves. They supervise slaves doing the work. Mm-mm. But there's still this quality... Um, that they should be able to spin and weave and that sort of thing. Yeah. Even you know. This
0: idea that they that a good Roman woman will be the master of the domestic tasks. Yes. And the most canonical of these domestic tasks is the weaving of the wool. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, they come across Lucretia. There yep. she is, up by the lamplight, being very industrious. Yes, and they're like... Yes. <laughs> and so Lucretia's husband is like, Oh well, you know, I guess I won that competition,
1: and they're like, yeah, and they're like,
0: "Wow!" Now, and at that point, one of the princes. Uh Sextus Tarquinius Mm. uh, conceives of a great desire for Lucretia. One, because she's beautiful. Of course. Uh, And second of all, because she's just so chaste. So it's like that, He just wants (laughs) to just spoil her. (laughs) I see me, a challenge. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I reckon I'm pretty hot shit. I mean, what are the chances? It's very (laughs) Lepia's on (laughs)
1: stage. With
0: the right application of my talents, (laughs) I reckon I could get around that chastity. (laughs) And so, he contrives one evening A few weeks later, Mm -hmm. uh, to be invited along to a sort of a soiree held at Lucretia's place. Yep. And... He manages to stay up late enough that you know they offer him a guest bed for the night. You know, you know it's too late to go home; just stay. Yeah. And he waits until he thinks the creature is asleep, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and then he wanders into her room, uh, stands over her bed. And, <gasps> I know, but wait, yeah. But wait. Um, according to Livy, he reaches down and presses her into the bed using his hand against her left breast, so there's a physical violation already. Good god. Uh-uh.
1: Uh-uh. Uh-huh. And uh-huh.
0: she wakes up and he takes out his sword <laughs> double entendre <That's> time right. <laughs> yes. holds, symbolism. It, holds it against her neck and says don't scream, I've got a proposition for you.
1: <laughs> and it's in my pants. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, not my pants. My tanker. <laughs> I wouldn't be wearing pants. That's so barbaric. I'm not concealing a weapon.
0: No. <laughs> anymore. Pretty <Very> easy, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, So yeah, he's yeah. holding the sword against her neck, pushing yep. her breast. Yeah. And she's like, oh, shit. You know. And, and she's I like... I think what? I'm caught in a awkward situation. <laughs> yeah, she's like, what do you think you're doing, essentially? Yeah. And he's like, now look here. You're very attractive to me. How about...
1: We just do it. Yeah. Uh, or I'll kill you. Mm. And, and <laughs> just to make it worse, I'm going to kill a slave, a male <laughs> slave, and put him naked beside you and claim. But I caught the two of you doing it. Yeah, yeah. Like,
0: if you don't give in now, you know, I'll make it even worse for you. Not only will I kill you, but I'll disgrace your reputation of honour. If you're found with this dead slave lying over you who's nude, everybody's going to think that you just participated in adultery with a base man. Yeah,
1: and who's going to believe a dead woman and a naked slave? That's right. Or me? Neither (laughs) of you two are
0: going to be able to talk and nobody will know it was me. So how about it, sweetheart? Exactly. And, you know, such a proposition, you know, it's... What difficult to say no, exactly. isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. very seductive. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know they That's talk sweet the, talk. Yeah, I know. Everybody <laughs> talks about the rape fantasy for women, but you know this is the quintessential example. Absolutely, there's no way out. Yeah, yeah, the is essentially backed into a corner, mm-hmm. and so she gives in. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. in. The threat is not death that that persuades her in the end. It's dishonour. It's it's the threat of the dishonour to her Pudokidia. Yeah. And she's like, I can't be found in that sort of scenario. And so she says, fine, and have your way. Yeah. Tarquinius is I'll lie back and think of Rome. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, you know. And so Tarquinius has his way. Yep. um, uh, Presumably with one sword rather than the other. leave and is really quite pleased with himself. Mm-hmm. She frantically sends out messengers as soon as he's out of sight yep. to her husband and to her father saying, you've got to come home straight away. Yep. This is really important. Please bring with you somebody that you trust yep. as well. There needs to be witnesses. Yep. And so, you know, they turn up. Yep. She tells them the story yep. and they're like, oh my god. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
0: oh my god. <laughs> and, and she's like, I have to face the punishment for for the loss of my chastity, yes. which in traditional terms is death.
1: Mm-hmm. And and so she falls on her sword.
0: Well, but mm-hmm. you know, I think the really the really nice part of this story, mm. and and maybe this is me being an optimist, but yeah. you know, this doesn't necessarily run its course. They don't just accept her killing herself. They mm-hmm. don't be like, oh yeah, you're adultery. you you know, your your you're chastity ruined. has yeah. been compromised. Yeah. You do need to die. Yeah. I mean, the husband and and the father both say, look, a sin is something that happens in the mind, yes. not the body. Yeah. What What has happened to you it's is a fault. is a crime. Yeah. You're not responsible for this. Mm. You have not been tainted. You have not engaged in adultery. But you she don't need listen. to die. Mm. She's
1: that honourable.
0: She's yeah. that honourable. Well, she says, there's mm. no way that I'm going to stand as an example for other Roman women <laughs> who want to get out of a situation where they've made the wrong choice and it was their decision. And they can say, look, it was just like Lucretia. It was just my... Body, it wasn't my mind. She's yep. like, I'm not going to be that example for mm-hmm. people. My virtue is worth more to me than that. She's yep. like, I can forgive myself, yes, for what has happened, but I still need to face
1: the punishment, and so I die. But before what? I do, I entreat you to <laughs> seek revenge. <laughs> yeah. Please yeah. kill. Me. Yeah. <laughs> so she dies. She dies and stabs herself through revenge the Revenge is achieved in a rather remarkable <laughs> way, mm. in that with uh, when. In seeking revenge, the Roman Republic is founded. The Yeah,
0: yeah, the revenge ultimately leads yeah. to the killing of the Tarquin family. Yes. And the expulsion of the kings. This uh this moment where they're like well, if that's the sort of way you're going to treat your Roman citizens, the use and abuse of Roman citizens for your own pleasure, mm. we don't want you. Yes, and so yeah, it's quite a it's
1: quite a tale. This is a moment, yeah, yeah. And Our so, women, yeah, female chastity has such a crucial part to play. Yeah, in yeah. such a major political. Well, I mean, allegedly, obviously. But yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the story that the Romans told themselves. Exactly. So, you know, you've got to yes. run with it to a certain point because yeah. the Romans place the creature at this pivotal role. She yeah. is the catalyst for what ends up being the most significant political change that mm. Rome has faced in yes. its
1: history so far. And I think one of the other interesting things about that story is mm. the fact that she summons her father and her husband. Mm. Um, because this is the thing about the way the Roman family functioned. Fathers are still very important oh, yeah. to you Roman can, girls. You can
0: marry somebody. Yeah, you yeah. want to our daddy's girls. Yeah. <laughs> but your father's still the boss. Absolutely,
1: yeah, because yeah. yeah. there are different types of marriage yes. um, throughout Rome's history. Um, and basically there's one uh, which is called the, the manus marriage. Mm-hmm. and with the hand. With the hand. And there's then there's sine manus, which is without the hand. Mm. And that does become the more common form later on yes
0: but um, we're clearly dealing here with an example of manus yes marriage, absolutely which which essentially means that while the woman is married to the husband she's not technically part of the husband's family no she
1: sort of remains a part of her birth family yeah, yeah. she's
0: still legally speaking for all intents and purposes still part of her father's family and which means she's under the jurisdiction of his yes uh, patria potestas, yes. his power of the father. And so she
1: will technically I mean again, who knows if this actually happened, but <laughs> technically she doesn't take part in the worship of the household gods of mm. her husband and her children Yeah, um, she will technically be part of her father's yeah. Religious yeah. cult. Yeah. Um and obviously he then still has a lot of power over her content.
0: Definitely. And yeah. and so he's sort of got a vested interest in the way the marriage is going as well. If it yes. if it, if he feels like the marriage is no longer serving his purposes, he mm. can just pull her out of it. Absolutely. And I mean that's a
1: I mean that must be a very interesting, dynamic <laughs> Thanks, Daddy. Yeah. I liked him. I don't care. I need to marry you to this dude so yeah. we can get and, through I mean, the next election. We do kind of see that happening a lot in, you know. Roman Republic and the Empire and that sort of thing. Um, And there are quite famous instances of, I mean, if we want to look at, you know, to return to the the Caesar family, (laughs) if we look at Octavian, Mm. he was quite fond of using Octavia as a political pawn. Definitely.
0: His sister, this is. Yeah.
1: Um, Not his daughter. (laughs) Um, Although he did use her as well. But um, I believe... He's a resourceful young man. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting um, alliance between um, Octavia and Mark Antony. Yeah, and they actually produce quite a number of children. Yes. And
0: it seems to be, in the beginning at least, a relatively solid marriage.
1: Yes. Um, And I believe... I mean, I could be wrong here, so please correct me, because I'm just talking off the top (laughs) of my head here. But I believe that... When when things started to go sour politically between Octavian and Mark Antony because they didn't get along very well no, for very long, they, no, <laughs> this no. is not one of those Excuse. massively successful <laughs> political marriages. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but when he ordered her to divorce Mark Antony, I think she refused, didn't she? Ah uh,
0: yeah, I think she felt yeah she she wanted to stay within the marriage and mm. and she did do that, and she she seems to be a bit of a paragon of virtue in other ways herself because yes. she actually takes on Cleopatra's children
1: mm, after uh, they're both dead, yeah, yeah,
0: and so she sort of has this extensive brood of children that that mm. are her husband's but not hers included yes. and mingled with her own. And... Yeah, because of
1: course Mark Antony, although he did have a ceremony of sorts, I think, with Cleopatra, it wasn't like a legal Roman marriage. So no. he was technically married to Octavia. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the Roman eyes, yeah. the marriage to
0: Cleopatra didn't count.
1: No. But he still was off shagging Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can deny that. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, so it's interesting. So even though she was instructed to mm. leave, she didn't. So there is... There is there are interesting stories, yeah, you know, definitely that survive. Yeah, well, I think for
0: now we mm. might have to leave it there and we wrap may. up this episode. And Absolutely,
1: yeah. How intriguing! Mm. <laughs> well, we'll see you next time when we're discussing the slightly less legitimate side of things. <laughs> Hello, prostitute. Hello, prostitute. Where have you been all my life? <laughs> see you next time. <laughs>